Well, good morning to each one, and welcome to the preaching hour. I was on schedule two weeks ago, and uh, as you know, Brother Leon Yoder filled in for me on that Sunday. So uh, I haven't preached for a while, and thank you, Josh, for giving me the opportunity to preach. So, uh, yeah, so for a message, I invite you to Matthew chapter 5. Today I want to continue in the study of the Beatitudes. We are ready for verse 9, Beatitude number 7. <coughs> Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Jesus says, happy, blessed, extremely blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called or they shall be recognized as the sons of God or as part of God's family. Now, if my study is correct, this is the one and only place that we find the word peacemaker in the Bible. Now, the Bible says much about peace and, live it, and living peaceably, but I believe this is the only place where we are instructed to be a peacemaker. So what is a peacemaker? Well, the peacemaker are those who make peace between offended parties. They are not just the peaceful, nor just peacekeepers, but they are peacemakers. And so, in order to participate in this promise of blessing, it is not enough just to have peace or keep the peace, but we must actually make peace. Now, I preached this sermon about seven years ago, and as I studied it this time, it struck me a bit different than it did seven years ago. It isn't that the scripture changed, it's just as you move through life and you see things and understand things, and I don't know why that all is, but it struck me different this time in the fact that we are called to make peace. Someone said it like this, the peacemaker is the one who enters into the rough and tumble of human relationships and brings people into harmonious fellowship. Peacemakers are not afraid to get their hands dirty, but are willing to risk their own comfort and well-being in order to bring peace to others. And so there is a definition of a peacemaker. I believe it's important to note that this beatitude follows the blessing on those who are pure in heart. And I think it's important that we get this. Jesus is not talking about making peace at any price, but a peace that rises out of purity. Purity always comes first. Purity always trumps peace and making peace. 
James 3.17 says, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable. Unity or peace without purity was never taught by Christ. Christ taught both Christ taught purity of both doctrine and conduct. And so we cannot make peace between offended parties by ignoring sin. We cannot make peace between God and man by ignoring sin. And so we need to take a stand for what is right. And in taking a stand for truth, we may actually bring conflict into our lives instead of peace. So we need to keep that in mind. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 34 through 36, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. And so we must recognize that standing for truth has the potential for bringing conflict into our lives. And this conflict can be close home. Jesus said it can be part of our own family or it can be within our own family. And so I do want you to keep in mind that purity always comes first. We don't compromise purity for the sake of peace. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. And so I want to consider now three ways that we are called to be peacemakers. And I will share them with you so you know what's coming. But the first one is, is making peace with others and then making peace between others. And then third, making peace between others and God. We'll look at these three and then we'll look at the blessing, uh, the promised blessing. And I will say that these three ways for making peace are not for the faint of heart. The call to peacemaking is a call to hard work. And I will also say right here that the call to peacemaking is, is a, a peacemaker will, will be one who will spend uh, time in prayer, he will be a person of, of caution. Um, and so I, I don't want you all to, to leave here today and just rush into situations where there's conflicts and jump into the middle of it. No, that's, that's not quite what we'll see today. Uh, a peacemaker is a cautious person. He's going to move into situations after much prayer and thinking and considering um, but he will do something, you see. But it's going to be carefully and prayerfully. Do you all get that? All right, so don't just leave here today and start jumping into situations without thinking and praying. Okay, you got it. 
All right. Um, so let's. Um, where was I at? Well, making peace with others. Let's begin with that one. Point number one. Romans 12, verse 18 says, If it is possible, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably. In other words, we should do everything we can do within our power to be at peace with others in our lives. No, it's not always possible to be at peace with someone. They have a say in it too. But we should do all that we can. We need to do all that we can. And if I've done wrong, if I'm in the wrong, then I need to apologize. If the other person has wronged me, then I need to forgive. In Genesis 13, and you can turn there if you like, I will be reading just a few verses from this chapter. But in Genesis 13, we have the story of the strife that arose between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And the strife was over a shortage of land to support the growing flocks and the growing herds. And as you know, good quality grass and lots of it is key to making a profit in the livestock business. And so they were running short. And so this strife was over a lack of, of grass, a lack of property. And so strife arose between the herdsmen of Abraham and the herdsmen of Lot. Now keep in mind, Abraham was Lot's uncle, and Lot was Abraham's nephew. In other words, they were family. Okay, so keep that in mind. Genesis 13 verse 8 says, So Abram said to Lot, Please, let there be no strife between you and me, and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we... Our brethren. The attitude here is key for making peace with others. For we are brethren. Lot, you're my nephew. I'm your uncle. We are brethren. You see, a peacemaker sees the big picture and understands that relationships are more important than money. Relationships are more important than green grass. Relationships are more important than who gets grandpa's tractor or grandma's dishes. Relationships are first and foremost. Dad, mom, brothers, sisters, son, daughter, uncles, aunts, nephews, nieces, cousins, we are brethren. And you can take that over to the church as well. We're brothers and sisters. Problems between family members generally will not just go away. You know, Abraham could have shrugged off the problem. He could have said, well, you know, herdsmen, 
they never really get along anyhow. Um, you know, it'll soon rain again and there'll be plenty of grass. But Abraham was a wise man. And, it, and he knew if something wasn't done, the problem between the herdsmen would eventually drive a wedge between himself and Lot. And as this story unfolds, Abraham gives us a beautiful example of making peace with others. If you're still there in Genesis uh, 13, look at verse 9. Abraham said to Lot in verse 9, Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I will take, then I will go to the left. Philippians 2 verse 3 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. And it says in verse 10 of Genesis 13, that Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. Verse 11, then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. And you know later, God comes back to Abraham, and he blesses him abundantly for that attitude of unselfishness. Abraham was a man who worshipped God. And you know, peace is essential for worship. When we're not at peace with someone, it can affect our worship of God. And I believe that's why Jesus says later on in Matthew chapter 5, if you're still partly there in verse 23 and verse 24, therefore if you bring your gift to the altar and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Well, let's move on. Let's think now of making peace between others. You can turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. I'd like to read 1 through 3. These verses speak of our calling as Christians. Philippians 4 verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's our calling. And you know, it takes the effort of all to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That takes everyone. We've got to work together for that. And that will mean when two parties are, are divided, it may mean that it is your responsibility to step up to the plate and do what you can do to bring them back together. 
For this point, I would like to take you to 1 Samuel chapter 25 and read this chapter. Very interesting account. But in this passage, we have the story of Abigail. And in this story, she steps into a conflict, as we will see, between David and her husband, Nabal. And I will make some comments after we read, but the story, uh, the, the chapter gives us the story very, very well. So let's read 1 Samuel chapter 25. Then Samuel died, and the Israelites gathered together and lamented for him, and buried him at his home in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness apart. Now there was a man in Manon whose business was in Carmel, and the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. The name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance. But the man was harsh and evil in his doings. He was of the house of Caleb. When David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, David sent ten young men. And David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say to him who lives in prosperity, Peace be to you, peace to your house, and peace to all that you have. Now I have heard that you have shears, Your shepherds were with us, and we did not hurt them, nor was there anything missing from them all the while they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever comes to your hand to your servants and to your son David. So when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in the name of David and waited. Then Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David and who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away each one from his master. Shall I then take my bread and water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men when I do not know where they are from? So David's young men turned on their heels and went back, and they came and told all these words. Then David said to his men, Every man gird on his sword. So every man girded on his sword, and David also girded on his sword, and about 400 men went with David, and 200 stayed with the supplies. Now, one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he reviled them. But the men were very good to us, and we were not hurt, nor did we miss anything as long as we accompanied them when we were in the fields. They were a wall to us both by night and day, all the time we were with them keeping the sheep. Now therefore... Know and consider what you will do. For harm is determined against our master and against all his household. 
for he is such a scoundrel that one cannot speak to him. Then Abigail made haste and took two hundred loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep already dressed, five seas of roasted grain, one hundred clusters of raisins, and two hundred cakes of figs, and loaded them on donkeys. And she said to her servants, Go on before me, see, I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. So it was, as she rode on the donkey, that she went down under cover of the hill, and there were David and his men coming down toward her, and she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain I have protected all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missing of all that belonged to him, and he has repaid me evil for good. May God do so, and more also to the enemies of David, if I leave one male of all who belong to him by morning light. Now, when Abigail saw David, she dismounted quickly from the donkey, fell on her face before David, and bowed down to the ground. So she fell at his feet and said, On me, my Lord, on me let this iniquity be, and please let your maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. Please let not my Lord regard this scoundreled Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand, now let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be as Nabal. And now this present, which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your maidservants, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord fights the battle of the Lord, and evil is not found in you throughout your days. Yet a man has risen to pursue you and seek your life, but the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God, and the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the pocket of a sling. And it shall come to pass when the Lord has done for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you ruler over Israel, that this will be no grief to you nor offense of heart to my Lord, Either that, either that you have shed blood without cause, or that my Lord has avenged himself. But when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. Then David said to Abigail, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed is your advice, and blessed are you, because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. For indeed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, surely by morning light no males would have been left to Nabal. So David received from her hand what she had brought him and said to her, Go in peace to your house. 
See, I have heeded your voice and respected your person. Now Abigail went to Nabal, and there he was holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. Therefore she told him nothing, little or much, until morning light. So it was in the morning when the wine had gone from Nabal, and his wife told him these things, that his heart died within him, and he became like a stone. Then it happened after about ten days that the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. So when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord, who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal, and has kept his servant from evil. For the Lord has returned the wickedness of Nabal on his own head. And David sent and proposed to Abigail to take her as his wife. When the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, they spoke to her, saying, David sent us to you to ask you to become his wife. Then she arose, bowed her face to the earth, and said, Here is your maidservant, a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. So Abigail arose in haste and rode on a donkey, attended by her five maidens, and she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. Now, is that a lesson about making peace between others? Well, I think there is much we can learn from this account. David backed off from doing what he said he would do. Unfortunately, Nabal, um, I'm not sure if he, it don't appear that he changed his thinking. But in this story, we see two responses to a life situation. And first we see that natural response of anger. Nabal and David, they both become angry when they didn't get what they wanted. That's a natural response. And then we see Abigail's response. You know, it would have been easy for Abigail to just kind of sit back, stand back, and to do nothing. That would have been the easy thing for her to do. And she could have justified her inaction by saying, you know, it's not my problem. I'm not meddling. I'm not getting in the middle. She could have decided that keeping peace between her and Nabal was the most important. And I believe the lesson to learn here in this account is the way of peacemaking is never easy. But Abigail found the courage and strength to do so because she could see the bigger picture. If she had not acted, she possibly would have kept peace in her marriage, maybe, for a short time. But the result of that would have been the slaughter of her household and even possibly many of David's soldiers would have been killed if this would have followed through. 
When we step into a situation where two people are at odds, we put ourselves in a very vulnerable position. And that is because a peacemaker can so quickly be misunderstood. And I believe Abigail knew that she was facing a great personal, personal risk, yet she judged that the possible results would be worth the risk. She had no idea how this story would unfold. You know, David, in his anger, he might have turned her away. Maybe he would have killed her on the spot. You know, if Nabal would have found out what she had done, we don't know what he may have done. But it seems like he died of a heart attack before he was able to do anything to her. But Abigail found the courage to be a peacemaker. And in the end, that courage brought blessing to her life and to her household. And so making peace between others will take courage. And we learn that from Abigail and this story. Let's move on to the third point. I want to think now about making peace between others and God. And I believe this is a big one because we are surrounded by people who don't know the peace of God. And what they know is normal is conflict. What they know is normal is turmoil inside and without. And we don't have to go way out into the world to find such people. They can be living right among us. They can be in our homes and in our church and definitely in our neighborhoods. As followers of Jesus Christ, we have a message of peace. A peace that the Bible says passes all understanding. And every time you and I share the gospel, we are acting as a peacemaker, you see, a peacemaker. Yesterday, several of us went up to the CAM search and rescue program. They had an open house up in Harrisonburg uh, yesterday. But one of the team members said something like this, you know, Search and rescue, it may seem, is about finding the person who is lost. I mean, that's right away what you think about when you think about search and rescue, finding the lost person. But who the team really gets to show the love of Jesus to is not so much the lost person. You see, the lost person, when they find him or her, could be dead, or almost dead, or in a state of confusion, or needing medical help, which they really don't get involved in. And this member went on to say is, the people who they are really showing the love of Jesus with is the fellow uh, rescue teams, and the law enforcement, and the family of, of the lost person. And so 
yes, there is a part of search and rescue that is about the lost person, but their work goes way beyond that. And uh, that blessed me. But Isaiah 52, verse 7 says, How beautiful upon the mountain are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. Paul echoes this verse when he talks about having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And so it's a beautiful thing to share the gospel of peace with someone who does not know the Lord. And I believe it's just as beautiful to encourage and help a fellow Christian who is not at peace and someone who is struggling with finding peace in their life and help that person um, to find peace between them and God. Paul in his writings calls this the ministry of reconciliation. And he talks about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, Now all things are of God who has reconciled to us himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And as Paul goes on within that chapter, he talks about the message of reconciliation that has been entrusted to us as followers of Jesus Christ. And so, yes, our calling as Christians, our calling as a peacemaker is bringing or making peace between others and God, helping people to find that, helping people to uh, have that real in their hearts and leading them to that. Well, I'd like to move on and think now of the blessing promise. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And the blessing here is not simply to be a child of God, but to be called a child of God. And I find that interesting. In other words, to be publicly recognized as such. The phrase, son of, refers to character, simply sharing the character of another. When little Melvin acts just like his father, <laughs> we chuckle and say, he is his father's son. Now, when we say that, we don't mean that he is his father's son biologically, but we mean his character. Little Melvin acts just like his dad. And that's what this blessing means. Peacemakers will be called sons of God. We act just like our heavenly father. And people can see the family resemblance, you see. And so, in conclusion, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called 
the sons of God. Peacemaking has to do with the establishment of right relationships with others, between others, and between others and God. The greatest peacemaker of all is Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 13 and 14 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. And so, as followers of the Prince of Peace, we must be committed peacemakers in every area of influence in our lives. At work, at home, in our marriages, at school, in the church, in the community, wherever God has placed us. We are imitators of God and Jesus when we bring peace between people and will be recognized as God's children by others and acknowledged as God's children by God himself. 1 John 3 verse 1 says, Beloved, I'm sorry, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. And so that's who we are as peacemakers, children of God. Well, that's all I have for this morning. I want to wish you all God's richest blessing as you go for, from here. You know, as I study the Beatitudes and think about them, the Beatitudes are Jesus is showing us how we should live. He's showing us what heaven should look like down here on earth. That's what the Beatitudes are all about, bringing heaven down here. And that's our calling right now. You know, we are, we have the goal at the end of life, right? We all want to go to heaven. None of us want to go to hell. But we got a lot of living to do between now and the time we die. I mean, you all getting started in your Christian life, you got a long time. If you're serving the Lord just because you want to go to heaven, you got a long road ahead of you. And so Jesus is showing us in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5 what heaven looks like Till we get to heaven. I didn't really have planned to say all this, but it's, uh, it's on my heart. But the Beatitudes keep us busy till Jesus comes again. Let's have a song. Peacemaker is, a, is an action.
something that we do. And I know for myself, it's easy to just sort of ignore the issue, ignore the problem, walk away from it, and kind of keep peace. But that's not really what he's talking about. We are to make an effort to bring peace, to be peacemakers. This song is a prayer, and Dan mentioned that God is the, I forget how he said it, but God is the one who really brings peace, and I think this song brings that out. It's a prayer to God to ask him to bring peace into the world, into our lives. Uh, The tune is familiar to me. I'm not real familiar with the words. I don't know how well you all are, but uh, let's stand and sing 449. Peace in our time, O Lord. 